Sam Maskell here from This, That, and the Other and Roll420s. Just want to let everyone know that I have a new podcast out called Sam of All Trades, where I interview very interesting people and I ask them some pretty interesting questions and we get to know what they do and how they do it. Check it out from the binge on this channel where you can find our new D&D game, Roll420s, This, That, and the Other, our podcast with me and Brian, What's Hood with Forever Cobron, where you get the Latin flavor, Reading Ronin with Brian, Happy News with Perry Kurtz, and our new new podcast sam of all trades with me so come check it out give us a like and a subscribe when i was little my father was famous he was the greatest samurai in the empire my father would come home to mother and we were happy then one night they were supposed to kill my father but they didn't That's the first tool you use. Now take your seat, boy. Starting right now, I'm going to teach you how to read. A Walk in the Dark by Arthur C. Clarke Robert Armstrong had walked just over two miles, as far as he could judge, when his torch failed. He stood still for a moment, unable to believe that such a misfortune could really have befallen on him. Then, half maddened with rage, he hurled the useless instrument away. It landed somewhere in the darkness, disturbing the silence of this little world. A metallic echo came ringing back from the low hills. Then, all was quiet again. This, thought Armstrong, was the ultimate misfortune. Nothing more could happen to him now. He was even able to laugh bitterly at his luck, and resolved never again to imagine that the fickle goddess had ever favored him. Who would have believed that the only tractor at Camp 5 would have broken down when he was just setting off for Port Sanderson? He recalled the frenzied repair work, the relief when the second start had been made, and the final debacle when the Caterpillar track had jammed. It was no use then regretting the lateness of his departure. He could not have foreseen these accidents. And it was still a good four hours before the Canopus took off. He had to catch her, whatever happened. No other ship would be touching at this world for another month. Apart from the urgency of his business, four more weeks on this out-of-the-way planet were unthinkable. There had only been one thing to do. It was lucky that Port Sanderson was a little more than six miles from the camp. Not a great distance, even on foot. He had had to leave all this equipment behind, but it could follow on the next ship and he could manage without it. The road was poor, merely stamped out of the rock by one of the board's hundred-ton crushers. But there was no fear of going astray. Even now, he was in no real danger, though he might well be too late to catch the ship. Progress would be slow, for he dare not risk losing the road in this region of canyons and enigmatic tunnels that had never been explored. It was, of course, pitch dark. Here at the edge of the galaxy, the stars were so few and scattered that their light was negligible. The strange crimson sun of this lonely world would not rise for many hours, and although five of the little moons were in the sky, they could barely be seen by the unaided eye. Not one of them could even cast a shadow. 
Armstrong was not the man to bewail his luck for long. He began to walk slowly along the road, feeling its texture with his feet. It was, he knew, fairly straight, except for where it wound through Carver's Pass. He wished he had a stick or something to probe the way before him, but he would have to rely on guidance of the feel of the road. It was terribly slow at first, until he gained confidence. He'd never known how difficult it was to walk in a straight line. Although the feeble stars gave him his bearings, again and again he found himself stumbling among the virgin rocks at the edge of the crude roadway. He was traveling in long zigzags that took him to alternate sides of the road. Then he would stub his toes against the bare rock and grope his way back onto the hard-packed surface once again. Presently, it settled down to a routine. It was impossible to estimate his speed. He could only struggle along and hope for the best. There were four miles to go. Four miles and as many hours. It should be easy enough unless he lost his way, but he dared not think of that. Once he had mastered the technique, he could afford the luxury of thought. He could not pretend that he was enjoying the experience, but he had been in much worse positions before. As long as he remained on the road, he was perfectly safe. He had been hoping that his eyes became adapted to the starlight, and then he would be able to see the way, but now he knew that the whole journey would be blind. The discovery gave him a vivid sense of his remoteness from the heart of the galaxy. On a night as clear as this, the skies of almost any other planet would have been blazing with stars. Here at this outpost of the universe, the sky held perhaps a hundred faintly gleaming points of light, as useless as the five ridiculous moons on which no one had ever bothered to land. A slight change in the road interrupted his thoughts. Was there a curve here, or had he veered off to the right again? He moved very slowly along the invisible and ill-defined border. Yes, there was no mistake, the road was bending to the left. He tried to remember its appearance in the daytime, but he'd only seen it once before. Did this mean that he was nearing the pass? He hoped so, for the journey would then be half completed. He peered ahead into the blackness, but the ragged line of the horizon told him nothing. Presently, he found that the road had straightened itself again and his spirit sank. The entrance to the pass must still be some way ahead. There were at least four miles to go. Four miles. How ridiculous the distance seemed. How long would it take the cannabis to travel four miles? He doubted if man could measure so short an interval of time. And how many trillions of miles had he, Robert Armstrong, traveled in his life? He must have reached a staggering total by now, for in the last 20 years, he'd scarcely stayed more than a month at a time on any single world. This very year, he had twice made the crossing of the galaxy, and that was a notable journey even in these days of the Phantom Drive. He tripped over a loose stone, and the jolt brought him back to reality. It was no use thinking of ships that could eat up the light years. He was facing nature, with no weapon but his own strength and skill. Breakdowns had driven everything else from his mind. Moreover, he had always prided himself on his hard-headedness and his lack of imagination. Until now, he had forgotten all about the first evening at the base, when the crew had regaled him with the usual tall yarns concocted for the benefit of the newcomers. It was then that the old base clerk had told the story of his walk by night from Port Sanderson to the camp, and of what had trailed him through Carver's Pass, keeping always beyond the limit of his torchlight. 
Armstrong, who had heard such tales on a score of worlds, had paid it little attention at the time. This planet, after all, was known to be uninhabited. But logic could not dispose of the matter as easily as that. Suppose, after all, there was some truth in the old man's fantastic tale. It was not a pleasant thought, and Armstrong did not intend to brood upon it. But he knew that if he dismissed it out of hand, it would continue to prey on his mind. The only way to conquer imaginary fears was to face them boldly, and he would have to do that now. His strongest argument was the complete barrenness of this world and its utter desolation, though against that one could set many counter-arguments, as indeed the old clerk had done. Man had only lived on this planet for 20 years, and much of it was still unexplored. No one could deny that the tunnels out in the wasteland were rather puzzling, but everyone believed them to be volcano vents. Though, of course, life often crept into such places. With a shudder, he remembered the giant polyps that had snared the first explorers of Vargon III. It was all very inconclusive. Suppose, for the sake of argument, one granted the existence of life here. What of that? The vast majority of life forms in the universe were completely indifferent to man. Some, of course, like the gas beings of Alcaron or the roving wave latices of Chandaloon, could not even detect him, but passed through or around him as if he did not exist. Others were merely inquisitive, some embarrassingly frightenedly. There were few indeed that would attack unless provoked. Nevertheless, it was a grim picture that the old store's clerk had painted. Back in the warm, well-lit smoking room, with the drinks going around, it had been easy enough to laugh at. But here in the darkness, miles from any human settlement, it was very different. It was almost a relief when he stumbled off the road again, and had to grope with his hands until he found it once more. This seemed a very rough patch, and the road was scarcely distinguishable from rocks around. In a few minutes, however, he was safely on his way again. It was unpleasant to see how quickly his thoughts returned to the same disgusting subject. Clearly, it was worrying him more than he cared to admit. He drew consolation from one fact. It had been quite obvious that no one at the base had believed the old fellow's story. Their questions and banter had proved that. At the time, he'd laughed as loudly as any of them. After all, what was the evidence? A dim shape just seen in the darkness that might well have been an oddly formed rock? And the curious clicking noise that had so impressed the old man? Anyone could imagine such noises at night if they were sufficiently overwrought. If it had been hostile, why hadn't the creature come any closer? Because it was afraid of my light, the old chap had said. Well, that was plausible enough. It would explain why nothing had ever been seen in the daylight. Such a creature might live underground, only emerging at night. Damn it, why was he taking the old idiot's ravings so seriously? Armstrong got control of his thoughts again. If he went on this way, he told himself angrily, he would soon be seeing and hearing a whole menagerie of monsters. There was, of course, one factor that disposed of the ridiculous story at once. It was really very simple. He felt sorry he hadn't thought of it before. What could such a creature live on? There was not even a trace of vegetation on the whole planet. He laughed to think that the bogey could be disposed of so easily, and in that same instant felt annoyed with himself for not laughing aloud. If he was so sure of his reasoning, why not whistle or sing or do anything to keep up his spirits? He put the question fairly to himself as a test of his manhood. 
half ashamed, he had to admit that he was still afraid. Afraid because there might be something in it after all. But at least his analysis had done him some good. It would have been better if he had left it there and remained half convinced by his argument. But a part of his mind was still trying to break down his careful reasoning. It succeeded only too well, and when he remembered the plant beings of Xantil Major, the shock was so unpleasant that he stopped dead in his tracks. Now, the plant beings of Xantil were in no way horrible. They were, in fact, extremely beautiful creatures. But what made them appear so distressing now was the knowledge that they could live for indefinite periods with no food whatsoever. All the energy they needed for their strange lives they extracted from cosmic radiation. And that was almost as intense here as anywhere else in the universe. He had scarcely thought of one example before others crowded in his mind, and he remembered the life form on Trantorbita, which was the only one known capable of directly utilizing atomic energy. That too had lived on an utterly barren world, very much like this. Armstrong's mind was rapidly splitting into two distinct portions, each trying to convince the other and neither wholly succeeding. He did not realize how far his morale had gone until he found himself holding his breath lest it conceal any sound from the darkness about him. Angrily, he cleared his mind of the rubbish that had been gathering there and turned once more to the immediate problem. There was no doubt that the road was slowly rising and the silhouette of the horizon seemed much higher in the sky. The road began to twist and suddenly he was aware of great rocks on either side of him. Soon only a narrow ribbon of sky was still visible, and the darkness became, if possible, even more intense. Somehow, he felt safer with the rock walls surrounding him. It meant that he was protected, except in two directions. Also, the road had been leveled more carefully, and it was easy to keep it. Best of all, he knew now that the journey was more than half completed. For a moment, his spirits began to rise. Then, with the maddening perversity, his mind went back into the old groves again. He remembered that it was on the far side of Carver's Pass that the old clerk's adventure had taken place, if it had ever happened at all. In half a mile, he would be out in the open again, out of the protection of these sheltering rocks. The thought seemed doubly horrible now, and he already felt a senseless of nakedness. He could be attacked from any direction, and he would be utterly helpless. Until now, he had still retained some self-control. Very resolutely, he had kept his mind away from the one that gave some color to the old man's tale. The single piece of evidence that had stopped the banter in the crowded room back at the camp and brought a sudden hush upon the company. Now as Armstrong's will weakened, he recalled again the words that had struck a momentary chill in the warm comfort of the base building. The little clerk had been very insistent on one point. He'd never heard any sound of pursuit from the dim shape sensed rather than seen at the limit of his light. There was no scuffling of claws or hoofs on rocks, not even the clatter of displaced stones. It was as if, so the old man had declared in that solemn manner of his, as if the thing that was following could see perfectly in the darkness and had many small legs or pads so that it could move swiftly and easily over the rocks, like a giant caterpillar or one of the carpet things of Clorlock too. Yet, although there had been no noise of pursuit, there had been one sound that the old man had caught several times. It was so unusual that its very strangeness made it doubly ominous. It was a faint but horribly persistent clicking. The old man had been able to describe it very vividly. 
much too vividly for Armstrong's liking now. Have you ever listened to a large instet crunching its prey? He said. Well, it's just like that. I imagine that a crab makes exactly the same noise with its claws when it clashes them together. It was a... What's the word? A chitinous sound. At this point, Armstrong remembered laughing loudly. Strange how it was all coming back to him now. No one else had laughed, although they had been quick to do so earlier. Sensing the change of tone, he had sobered at once and asked the old man to continue his story. How he had wished now that he had stifled his curiosity. It had been quickly told. The next day, a party of skeptical technicians had gone into the no-man's land beyond Carver's Pass. They were not skeptical enough to leave their guns behind, but they had no cause to use them, for they found no trace of any living thing. There were the inevitable pits and tunnels, glistening holes down which the lights of the torches rebounded endlessly until it was lost in the distance, but the planet was riddled with them. Though the party found no sign of life, it discovered one thing it did not like at all. Out in the barn and unexplored land beyond the pass, they had come upon an even larger tunnel than the rest. Near the mouth of that tunnel was a mass of rock, half embedded in the ground, and the side of the rock had been worn away as if it had been used as an enormous whetstone. No less than five of those present had seen this disturbing rock. None of them could explain it satisfactorily as a natural formation, but they still refused to accept the old man's story. Armstrong had asked them if they had ever put it to the test. There had been an uncomfortable silence. Then Big Andrew Hargraves had said, Hell, who'd walk out to the pass at night just for fun, and had left it at that. Indeed, there was no other record of anyone walking from Port Sanderson to the camp by night, or, for that matter, by day. During the hours of light, no unprotected human being could live in the open beneath the rays of the enormous lurid sun that seemed to fill half the sky. And no one would walk six miles wearing radiation armor if the tractor was available. Armstrong felt he was leaving the past. The rocks on either side were falling away and the road was no longer as firm and well-packed as it had been. He was coming out into the open plain once more. And somewhere not far away in the darkness was that enigmatic pillar that might have been used for the sharpening of monstrous fangs or claws. It was not a reassuring thought, but he could not get it out of his mind. For a while he succeeded quite well, but presently with a maddening persistence, every train of thought came back to the same point. He could not get out of his mind the picture of the inexplicable rock and its appalling possibilities. Over and over again he found himself wondering how far away it was, whether he'd already passed it and whether it was on his right or his left. The ground was quite flat again, and the road drove on straight as an arrow. There was one gleam of consolation. Port Sanderson could not be much more than two miles away. Armstrong had no idea how long he'd been on the road. Unfortunately, his watch was not illuminated, and he could only guess at the passage of time. With any luck, the cannabis should not take off for another two hours at least, but he could not be sure. And now another fear began to enter his mind. The dread that he might see a vast constellation of lights rising swiftly into the sky ahead and know that all of this agony of mine had been in vain. He was not zigzagging so badly now and seemed to be able to anticipate the edge of the road before stumbling off of it. 
It was probable, he cheered himself by thinking, that he was traveling almost as fast as if he had had light. If all went well, he might be nearing Port Sanderson in 30 minutes. A ridiculously small space of time. How he would laugh at his fears when he strolled into his already reserved state's room in the canopus, and felt that peculiar quiver as the phantom drive hurled the great ship far out of this system, back to the clustered star clouds near the center of the galaxy, back towards Earth itself, which he'd not seen for so many years. One day, he told himself, he really must visit Earth again. All his life, he'd been making that promise, but always there'd been the same answer, lack of time. Strange, wasn't it, that such a tiny planet should have played so enormous a part in the development of the universe, should even have come to dominate worlds far wiser and more intelligent than itself. Armstrong's thoughts were harmless again, and he felt calmer. The knowledge that he was near Port Sanderson was immensely reassuring, and he deliberately kept his mind on familiar, unimportant matters. Carver's past was already far behind, and with that thing he no longer intended to recall. One day, if he ever returned to this world, he would visit the past in the daytime and laugh at his fears. In 20 minutes now, they would have joined the nightmares of his childhood. It was almost a shock, though one of the most pleasant he had ever known, when he saw the lights of Port Sanderson come up over the horizon. The curvature of this little world was very deceptive. It did not seem right that a planet with a gravity almost as great as Earth's should have a horizon so close at hand. One day, someone would have to discover what lay at this world's core to give it so great a density. Perhaps the many tunnels would help. It was an unfortunate turn of thought, but the nearness of his goal had robbed it of terror for now. Indeed, the thought that he might really be in danger seemed to give his adventure a certain piquantness and heightened interest. Nothing could happen to him now, with ten minutes to go and the lights at the port already in sight. A few minutes later, his feelings changed abruptly when he came to the sudden bend in the road. He had forgotten the chasm that caused his detour, and added half a mile to the journey. Well, what of it? He thought stubbornly. An extra half mile would make no difference now. Another ten minutes at the most. It was very disappointing when the lights of the city vanished. Armstrong had not remembered the hill which the road was skirting. Perhaps it was only a low ridge, scarcely noticeable in the daytime. But by hiding the lights of the port, it had taken away his chief talisman and left him again at the mercy of his fears. Very unreasonably, his intelligence told him... He began to think how horrible it would be if anything happened now, so near the end of the journey. He kept the worst of his fears at bay for a while, hoping desperately that the lights of the city would soon reappear. But as the minutes dragged on, he realized that the ridge must be longer than he imagined. He tried to cheer himself by the thought that the city would be all the nearer when he saw it again, but somehow logic seemed to have failed him for now. For presently, he found himself doing something he had not stooped to, even out in the waste by Carver's Pass. He stopped turned slowly round, and with bated breath listened until his lungs were nearly bursting. The silence was uncanny, considering how near he must be to the port. There was certainly no sound from behind him. Of course there wouldn't be, he told himself angrily, but he was immensely relieved. The thought of that faint and insistent clicking had been haunting him for the last hour. So friendly and familiar was the noise that did reach him at last that the anticlimax almost made him laugh. 
Drifting through the still air from a source clearly not more than a few miles away came the sound of a landing field tractor, perhaps one of the machines loading the cannabis itself. In a matter of seconds, thought Armstrong, he would be around this ridge with the port only a few hundred yards away. The journey was nearly ended. In a few moments, this evil plane would be no more than a fading nightmare. It seemed terribly unfair, so little time. Such a small fraction of human life was all he needed now. But the gods had always been unfair to man. And now they were enjoying their little jests. For there could be no mistaking the rattle of monstrous claws in the darkness ahead of him. And that was A Walk in the Dark by Arthur C. Clarke. Hey, that rhymed. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I think that was pretty cool. I mean, that was pretty cool. What, what was nice is he, he set it up throughout the story. I mean, I think I think the dude walked into a tun- uh, into a tunnel by accident, I think, and he didn't realize it. And um, you know, he just kept on walking and walking, and he, I don't I don't think he realized it, or I don't know, who knows, right? With that being said, hopefully you guys enjoyed this uh, episode. If you did, make sure that you leave a like or a review on our iTunes. Uh, if you have any questions or any concerns, feel free to email us at, at Binge on this channel. And remember, young warrior, that we live by the book, but we die by the blade. See you soon.